Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian Tian. Now, mining for minerals used in farming, infrastructure, and even electric vehicles. That's what we are going to talk about on this segment today with the world's largest mining company, BHP. Now, founded in 1885, BHP is a leading resources company headquartered in Melbourne, with about 80,000 employees and contractors across 90 locations worldwide. Now, it Uses essential commodities through its assets, such as open cut and underground mines, as well as gas production and processing facilities. Other minerals include copper for renewable energy, nickel for electric vehicles, iron ore, as well as coal used to make steel. But how does it operate exactly, and what is demand like for the different types of minerals at this point in time? And with China's leading steel makers warning of a challenging second half amid sluggish economic recovery, what will this Mean for BHP's iron and coal mining business. Now, meanwhile, BHP earlier announced plans to decarbonize its mining operations and achieve net zero by 2050. But really, how does it balance financial viability and environmental goals? Well, for more, let's speak to Vandita Pan, Chief Commercial Officer at BHP. Vandita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tianjin. Glad to be here with you. And great to have you on board with us. So, Vandita, we've briefly talked about BHP's business as the world's largest. A mining company, I believe, would appreciate if you could tell us more about your value proposition and business model. Sure, Tianjin. As you mentioned,、uh, BHP is the largest、uh, resources company in the world,、uh, with the, our operations across many countries.、Uh, we have a footprint in Australia, where we are headquartered, but equally, we are now one of the largest. Copper producers in、uh, Chile.、Uh, we have a big footprint coming up now in Canada, where we have、uh, approved a potassium project, which is one of these fertilizers uh, needed uh, by the world. And uh, uh, really, uh, we will be in production by 2026. There, you you mentioned in terms of our commodity mix, and that is uh, uh, all the things, critical things that the world needs. In terms of increasing standards of living,、uh, looking at development as well as decarbonisation includes copper, nickel, steel making uh, uh, commodities like metallurgical coal and iron ore, and now potash that that our project will bring. From our business model perspective,、uh, the way BHP works is starts with the strength of our portfolio. Tier one. Long-term, very high-quality assets. These are the、uh, resources that we have. But we couple that along with the really strong capital allocation discipline, which is quite important given very high intensity of capital that the mining company needs in these projects. Along with a real focus、uh, of embedded in decision-making social value. And I'm just going to put these two questions together. You mentioned about capital allocation in the longer term. What is the horizon then? And the second part is,、uh, I understand BHP produces a wide range of minerals like copper, iron, coking coal, as you mentioned. Which is the most important business vertical? You know, in mining,、uh, we do not put in capital based on what's happening in the world today. The mining projects from discovery. Uh, exploration, discovery, and then execution can take up to ten to twelve years 
to come online. And then they produce for multiple decades. So you can see our horizon of decision making has to be several decades. And if that's the horizon, um, the mega trends of the world, which means increasing standards of living, uh, higher urbanization, which will continue, but also now increasingly a mega trend where uh, the world needs to decarbonize and it cannot decarbonize without critical uh, min minerals and metals that we produce. That amplifies what is needed. If I look at that horizon, uh, to your question on what is it that we like in our commodity set, uh, we, we call that segment future-facing commodities. Future-facing commodities in our portfolio that we want to grow include copper, which is needed pretty much in everything that is needed to decarbonize the world, um, or and nickel, which is needed, as you know very well, uh, in electric vehicle. Um, nickel is four times used in electric vehicle than a regular LCE vehicle. And potash, which is a core component of uh, being a fertilizer, which is required mm. as arable land comes under pressure. So I would say my preference is future-facing commodities, more of copper, more of nickel, more of uh, potash, while, of course, steel continues to be a really critical foundational um, mm. uh, requirement for the world. Mm. So nickel, potash and copper. And let's take a look at the demand side of things, Fandita. Who would you define as your customers? And on the demand side, which is the most important geographical market for BHP? What is then the role of Singapore? Uh, we um, access markets across the globe. Uh, but if I were to narrow down, I think uh, it wouldn't surprise your uh, listeners to know that uh, Asia is where all the action is. 80% of our products uh, go to Asia uh, with the, um, China, Japan, India, Korea, between them having such a huge um, build of uh, steel mills, if you will, or uh, copper processing or hubs for electric vehicle uh, revolution, which is underway. Um, most of our products go into this region. Uh, the, the the importance is not just of geographies, but from my perspective, having really strong trust-based relationships with our customers. And that's what we have across our um, whole customer base. Now, from the perspective of how important Singapore is and where it fits in, well, it is the nerve center of commercial. We were the first resources company to make Singapore our home more than 20 years back. And commercial, which I head, uh, a chief commercial officer, has always been based in Singapore, which tells you the importance uh, of uh, Singapore, both in terms of uh, being a commodity hub with an ecosystem here from where we market our, all our products globally, but equally being a maritime hub, which is a fantastic ecosystem which has been created where we run our maritime operations from. Uh, we are mm. one of the largest dry bulk charters in the world. 1,500 voyages uh, our team handles uh, by taking our commodities from where they are produced to our customers. And that all happens, action happens out of uh, Singapore. Equally, mm. we run our my, my uh, market analysis and scenarios team out of Singapore as well, which is mm. where the intellectual um, uh, heft 
uh, comes in. Fantastic um, team here, 300 odd super specialized people based here in Singapore. Where with 27 nationalities represented, majority is Singaporean representation. Mm. Let me just put these two pointers together as well. The first part is uh, on the side of customers. Would you be able to share any names or any, um, you know, the business areas that they are in, uh, where they fit in the supply chain, and in terms of industry positioning? You talked about that commercial arm, which facilitates transportation of minerals, procurement of minerals by your clients, warehousing. To what extent is vertical integration a key differentiator against other industry players? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, to, to, if I took my customer's name, you'll think of it as who's who of mega names in in Asia and worldwide. So, you know, uh, I'll not be giving any trade secrets if I said uh, our steel customers in Asia include Bawu and HBase and Angong of China, uh, China the top uh, uh, steel producers, uh, JFE and Nippon Steel in uh, Japan, POSCO in Korea, Tata Steel, Jindal Steel, uh, and Sale in India, uh, ArcelorMittal in Europe. So these are mega names. Uh, on copper, the same thing. You can think of the biggest uh, copper smelters in India, in China, in Japan, in Korea, and they're all our customers. And same for electric vehicle um, uh, related to customers of nickel, which include PCAM uh, and battery manufacturers, the, the intermediaries, but also increasingly OEMs, Tesla, Ford, uh, PPS and Toyota and Panasonic in, uh, and Sumitomo in, in uh, Japan. So quite a wide range. In terms of commercial, you're right. Um, the BHP's uh, commercial uh, function, which I run, is really uh, covers the mandate is the whole supply chain, both on inbound, where we procure things around $20, $23 billion of stuff that we our team buys for BHP globally, or 100% of revenue line accountability, which can be anywhere from $60 billion, $65 billion of revenue uh, that we, we get by selling our commodities and then uh, everything in between. The uniqueness, I think, the distinctiveness of BHP's commercial model is coming because we are able to utilize uh, super specialization of our teams for maximum some social value and commercial value. To give you an example, Maritime, which is a fantastic industry leading uh, team, uh, which does huge lowest cost uh, um, uh, freight for our INR operations, but also industry leading in decarbonization in Maritime, is now increasingly uh, being used for um, inbound, that is to buy things and bring them to our assets. Marketing. Uh, which is multi-commodities based here in Singapore, um, we are able to utilize the expertise by moving people around from one commodity to another and uh, making sure that expertise continues to evolve uh, as well. Or our market analysis team, which is based here, which has always supported our outbound, how do we sell and what price maybe, also now giving inputs on how do we procure what the inflation is and how to tackle it? So I would say commercial is turned into a really distinctive capability for BHP um, and uh, very proud to say creating a lot of social value as well, uh, mm. leading role in decarbonization and right. leading role 
in uh, procurement from local businesses and uh, sometimes traditional owner businesses where our uh, mm. mines are. Mm. And let's take a look at a wider business environment, Vandita. Mm. What is demand looking like for the different minerals at this point in time amid structural trends? We're talking about electrification, the rise in EV adoption here. Uh, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, it's a very um, exciting um, uh, you know, vantage point from where we are. Uh, as I was saying, commodities have always underpinned our way of life, uh, of uh, uh, increasing standards of living, supporting urbanization, which means infrastructure. That continues, and that will continue because by 2050, uh, think of it this way, that population, world's population grows by around 25%. Uh, to 10 billion people. And urbanization will grow by 50% to 6.6 billion people. And both those trends means you need a lot more commodities to ensure that they need what they have, be it in terms of uh, uh, eating, which is where potash comes in, be it in terms of uh, building infrastructure where steel comes in, and copper and nickel as well. But increasingly, uh, that trend is being amplified uh, by the world needing to decarbonize quickly. And decarbonization does not happen without metals and minerals. Um, that becomes a, another uh, demand-inducing thing. So overall, structurally, very positive demand uh, over next few decades and more of commodities. But giving you an example, uh, if we were to project one and a half degree world, which is a decarbonizing world, um, we have done the analysis that that one and a half degree world will need almost double the steel in next 30 years compared to last 30. It will need two times double the copper we used in last 30 years to next 30. And it will need four times nickel in next 30 years than last 30. So you can see that from a perspective of structural trends, as well as underlying growth, economic growth, as well as population growth, our commodity sets uh, is going to have a very positive demand uh, focus. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we are now speaking to Vandita Pant, Chief Commercial Officer at BHP. And staying on the wider business environment, Vandita, I believe China's leading steelmakers in the short term, uh, the likes of N Steel Group and Hunan Iron and Steel Group, they have warned of a very challenging second half because demand disappoints, profitability lacks. Uh, how much of an impact will this have on demand on the prices of iron ore and cooking coal for BHP? Uh, given how you know China accounts for over half of global steel production, at least for this year. Yes, you're right. Um, you know, if I were to step back a minute, um, in the beginning of the year, we said that we think China and India will be the sources of stability for commodities world as rest of the world starts to slow down given the interest rate uh, peaking issues. Um, and what we have seen in first half ha is is coming to pass, that, that scenario is coming to pass. Um, in China specifically, um, the first quarter was very strong, uh, but you are right, the second quarter has been more patchy 
in terms of its uh, activity. Uh, if I were to pick by sectors, uh, we do see weakness in housing starts, for example, which is a very important segment from a steel making perspective. Uh, but equally, we have seen very strong uh, growth continuing in uh, a green infrastructure in China, in uh, housing completions and housing sales. Um, autos have also picked up, whereas uh, um, exports and machinery, exports are weak and machinery is going sideways. So overall, if I were to step back, I think we still think that second half of this year can be better than first half of this year for Chinese growth. However, um, we do uh, need and we think will come a very targeted um, uh, stimulus and policy interventions needed in some of the segments of the economy, uh, uh, mainly on the housing side. Uh, but if, if I were to put things in perspective as well, first half of uh, steel production in China has hovered, uh, uh, you know, around 1.0708 uh, billion tons of production. So um, overall, we still think by the end of the year, uh, China will have, uh, in by all estimates, fifth year in a, in a, in running uh, steel production of more than a billion tons. Uh, and to put it in perspective, the world's full uh, steel production is 1.8 billion. So our, our view remains that it's a matter of a bit of a lag, perhaps, but second half, uh, based on some policy support, uh, China will, uh, will have a better second half than first. Overall, between China and India, they could co still contribute to half of the world's growth for this year. Mm. And let's take a look at some recent developments surrounding BHP, Vandita. Um, a London court in May had rejected BHP's request to delay until 2025. Uh, that's a US$44 billion US dollar lawsuit over the 2015 collapse of the, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Fundown Dam, which is owned by one of your joint venture companies in Brazil. Dubbed as one of Brazil's worst environmental disaster. Also, a review by BHP found that it underpaid over 28,000 workers across Australia for 13 years. Uh, any comments on these developments and what they mean for the firm financially? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so uh, from the UK uh, lawsuit that you mentioned, um, we we do as BHP deny it in its uh, entirety. It is uh, duplicative of what is already legal proceedings going on in Brazil. And not only that, uh, there is uh, also, um, it, it's covered, the scope of it is covered by the ongoing work that Renova Foundation uh, in Brazil is uh, undergoing. So if I were to give you a little bit more context to it, um, by um, uh, March uh, 2023 of this year, um, uh, programs have been funded to the tune of Brazilian Real 29 billion, uh, roughly, let's say, 6 billion US dollars uh, in financial compensation as well as reparation work. Um, for Samarco uh, tragedy that you mentioned. This includes uh, around uh, almost 13 billion rial uh, of uh, uh, payments made to 400,000 uh, people in, uh, in, in that area 
for compensation and emergency financial uh, help. Uh, plus 70% of resettlement projects have already been completed. So a lot of work going on. In terms of financial impacts, we have been disclosing this matter several years now. Um, on the other point that you mentioned, uh, we have identified certain uh, issues with the uh, allowances and entitlements uh, to be paid uh, for employees in Australia. Uh, just to, to put it in context, uh, the, there are a number of uh, uh, employees who were affected because of uh, incorrect deduction of uh, public holiday. And the overall impact is on an average six days of uh, deduction over that 13 year period for all these employees that you mentioned. Uh, so what are we doing about it is uh, uh, looking to looking to um, remediate this as quickly as possible. We have also self-reported it to Fair Work Ombudsman in Australia. And uh, most importantly, we have initiated uh, a thorough review of our uh, payroll systems to make sure that uh, all issues are identified and processed uh, 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 fully and addressed. So the, the amount uh, of financial uh, impact that we have talked about is mm. um, uh, $280 million, um, uh, in totality, which includes um, direct reimbursement, but as well as costs associated with this uh, remediation. Mm. And meanwhile, let's take a look at the road ahead for BHP Group. Uh, you guys had in June announced plans to decarbonize mining operations, and I believe the plan is to reduce scope one and two emissions by 30% by 2030 from 2020 levels and to reach net zero by 2050. Now, some climate activists might be disappointed in the longer timeline, but uh, tell us more about why this is the middle ground between being financially viable and also achieving those environmental goals. Yes, yeah, sure. Actually, far from being disappointed, if I can quote a number, that eight, almost 85% of our shareholders supported our plan, which is called CTAP, Climate Transition Action Plan, in which we laid out our way of thinking as well as long-term uh, goals of net zero for scope one and two, but equally short at a medium-term uh, targets for 2030 that you are quoting. Um, I would say that uh, in BHP, we are very deliberate and considered in how we set our targets, uh, which, we, which we want them to be credible, actionable, and achievable, even though with a stretch. And that's the reason the targets have been set the way they have. We have really zeroed in on being, you know, our way of doing things is set the target, but most importantly, deliver. Uh, we have made uh, huge progress uh, uh, in that. Uh, in the last two years, our emissions have reduced by around 24%, um, which shows you how much progress we have done with all the quick wins, mainly in our uh, turning our power usage into renewable. But of course, as you would know, uh, these these uh, emissions can be lumpy and with growth, the, the emission reduction will vary. But we are very focused on achieving uh, the targets that we have set. Just to put it in context, it's not just a matter of financial um, balancing financial gains with what we need to achieve, but there is also a dimension of technology availability. 
So 40% of our scope one and two emissions come from power. So that can be shifted into renewable, slightly easier to do, but 40, the rest of 40% come from replacement of diesel, which we use a lot for haul trucks and material movement in our assets. And that's the technology which is still under development. We are working with our uh, suppliers like Komatsu, Caterpillar, Epiroc to make a um, make a switch from diesel to uh, electric uh, 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 trucks, if you will. But that technology is not available yet. But we are leaning in very clearly to ensure that that happens. Uh, but also from a peer group perspective in our industry, uh, we are the lowest absolute emission um, uh, footprint uh, player mm. uh, among the major diversified companies and also among the lowest carbon emission intensity uh, on a revenue basis. So very, very um, focused on this and very action-oriented around it. And before we let you go, Vandita, what are some future plans for BHP in the second half of this year? What can we expect here in Singapore? Yeah, sure. So broadly in uh, along across the company. We um, acquired Oz Minerals, which is a copper player in South Australia. So the the um, very exciting prospect and uh, second half of this year, the focus will be on fully integrating it and really um, starting to chalk out the South Australia copper province because we have our own Olympic dam mine there already. Uh, along with that, the focus on continued focus on safety and operational excellence um, it will be key um, as is usual uh, there but equally productivity is a very big lever for us and we'll be focused on that uh, in terms of what we do here in North, uh, Singapore also very exciting I think uh, the BAU mandate is of course there but continuing to make headway uh, and uh, if, along with working along with our customers and ecosystem uh, players in uh, the, the the journey towards decarbonization of our value chains, be it with our customers, uh, we have six partnerships with steel making uh, uh, customers. Uh, progressing on those, very important to look at low carbon emission steel making options, but equally uh, continuing with our participation and. Global Center for Maritime Decarbonization here in Singapore, of which we are a founding uh, member, uh, and our team uh, leading the path on decarbonization and maritime options will continue to be a focus. We also uh, will continue to work on uh, traceability uh, of uh, commodities, which, which is quite important in our value chain. So um, more of the same, but uh, even even pushing ourselves further uh, around uh, uh, work, around sustainability, around commercial outcomes, but also to work with the ecosystem players of which we are uh, a part. Mm. Thanks a lot, Vandita. That was Vandita Pant, Chief Commercial Officer of BHP. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.